This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Katie Balls. Well, Westminster is now digesting Jeremy Hunt's autumn statement. James, just tell us how it's gone down. So, at the moment, I think everything seems fairly calm. It's not the drama that we had after the trust quartet statement, you know. Uh, and that was really quite a lot of drama. Yes. I mean, the, the pound is down a bit, guilty is up a bit, but this is kind of within the kind of realm of the expected. I think Tory MPs are still chewing through what to think about it. I think they sat there very quietly during the statement, in part because the kind of the news is just grim. But I mean, the big question is, you know, do they accept some of the tax rises? And you know, there are lots to be made of how high the tax burden is going. How do those go down? And then also the kind of the politics of this, which is, I think, weirdly enough, is. In terms of the country, I think the tax... So I mean, it's not going to be popular, but I think that people will kind of accept it given the bits of spending that are being protected. And I think the, the, you know, the biggest contrast with the, the mini-budget is on, on the 45p rate, which Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng tried to abolish. Jeremy Hunt and Rishi Sunak have lowered the rate at which people start paying it. And if you remember, I think one of the things that made abolishing the 45p rate so hard was that Liz Truss and Kwarteng wouldn't commit to raising benefits in line with inflation. This statement does do that. Katie, what's the mood in the Conservative Party like? You wrote earlier about the chances of this autumn statement ending the Tory truce or maintaining it. How's it going so far? Yeah, I did. And then lots of people said there's never been a Tory truce. But... Sort of different levels of hating each exactly. other. And I think that's everything's relative. They basically stopped, I think, to those people who said there's never been a truce, I think they stopped the pure psychodrama when Richard first came in and the idea of always sending letters to get rid of another leader. But I think, as James says, it just feels that lots of MPs are still trying to work out what exactly has just happened. I think that, speaking to some, I think people liked Jeremy Hunt's tone and they liked that he seemed in control of things and almost quite a tidy person and I think when you listen to them they're not comparing him to Kwasi Kwarteng in a way where they're saying unlike Kwasi Kwarteng but it feels quite obvious to me that if you think back to the not so mini budget where it felt as though Kwasi Kwarteng was you know saying oh we're going to do all these you know radical things but didn't really seem to be across all the detail in the same sense. I think they like the way that Jeremy Hunt has presented this. And I think the language about fairness, about helping the most vulnerable, particularly to MPs in the centre of the party, has been well received. I think you just naturally have something where the MPs who are the happiest who you have spoken to are the people who are the least happy after the not so many budget. So we are just seeing a, a big shift in the sense that what Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt would doing today is ultimately a 180 from what Liz Truss has done and um, you can't go much further than going from abolishing the top rate of income tax to today putting more people in it um, and there's obviously more measures like that and therefore there are going to be winners and losers in terms of who likes this I think that 
it's interesting, and it's a point that you made too, Isabel, how, for example, Simon Clark, who spent the weekend, um, the former levelling up secretary, saying this should all be spending cuts, effectively, you know, this shouldn't be tax rises. He has taken to social media, but he said this needs to be accompanied by a growth plan, growth still needs to be the thing, there should be a supply-side reform. Now, if I was Downing Street, I would be fairly happy with that, because you're not saying, it's almost as though you were... You're not perhaps praising what you've heard, right? You're almost implicitly accepting it by talking about how something else needs to come after this. And also you had Jacob Rees-Wong yesterday, we haven't heard from him today, talking about how he will reluctantly accept tax rises as he thinks it's the thing to do now. So I think the early signs are that this isn't leading to a huge rebellion. But speaking to figures in government, I don't think anyone is breathing a sigh of relief just yet. Mm. And I think one of the other things is you've got to see that I think what is becoming quite clear is when it comes to, well, yes, partly the thresholds, but particularly the spending cuts, are these spending cuts ever really going to happen? And if they're not, what does that mean for all the people who've been in the party who've been saying focus on spending cuts, not tax rises? And that's one of the big questions, isn't it, James? Because the spending cuts are loaded until after the next election, how likely are they? How easy will it be for the Conservatives to go into the next election saying, hello, we're going to cut spending, we're going to take away even more public services? I mean, this this feels a lot like budgets of, of yesteryear, where the next day we get Paul Johnson from the Institute for Fiscal Studies popping up saying there's going to have to be terrible spending cuts in a few years' time, and then they never happen. So I think there are two things to say. First of all, I think because of the market scrutiny which the UK is still under. I don't think that has fully passed. I mean, yes, guilt yields have come off as the spike, but they went for out of the mini-budget. I still think people are looking at the UK with a slight nervousness. I think you had to be able to satisfy the fiscal rule that you were going to have debt falling as a percentage of GDP by the end of the forecast period. That means that you had to kind of accept the OBR forecast wholesale. I think that backloading the cuts... It makes sense given that we are going into a downturn now. And I mean, cutting into a downturn would risk deepening the recession. So I think that is sensible. I think in terms of the politics in the next election, I mean, there is a very interesting question here. Because I think one of the things that, one of the lasting legacies of trustonomics is I think it is much more difficult to say that you're going to let borrowing take the strain. Now, given these very straightened spending settlements, if Labour want to dispute them, not at the margins, but kind of fundamentally, I don't mean they can just say we're going to borrow more. They are going to have to say that they would put up taxes more. And given where taxes are now, how high they are, I think that is not a politically easy sell. So I think, I think, the, I think the truth is, for all parties right now, the fiscal choices in British politics are fairly unappealing. There is not a, there is not a kind of simple, easy answer with one leap they were free kind of situation here. I mean, the next election is going to be a trade-off between whether people would basically rather have quite tough settlement for public spending, which, you know, at a time when public services are straining, or whether they are prepared to pay more tax. I mean, that is what, what, what the debate is going to come down to. And pay more tax when they are already paying a lot of tax, as, as people are pointing out after this statement. So, Katie, let's talk about the other part of the choice at the next election, which is the Labour Party. How have they fared today? So it's been interesting looking at Rachel Reeves' response and it's obviously a tricky position when you have to come up immediately when obviously you're still trying to take in and even we sat here are still trying to work out some of the things. I think in the the coming days it'll become clear what exactly this all means. But what was quite clear is Rachel Reeves wants to, and I think the whole Labour front bench and all Labour MPs, 
they want to make this a conservative mess that the conservatives are cleaning up and you're seeing that as a line they keep trying to push so when Jeremy Hunt started talking about global factors it was um yes the Tory backbenchers were very quiet for most of the session but there was lots of heckling going on from the Labour side um effectively I'm trying to say, you know, that's rubbish. And and I think Rachel Reeves had a few good one-liners when she was, you know, being quite jokey about, you know, ultimately uh, suggesting that you know, people are done with the Tories. Um, you she talked about Dallas, didn't she, in a series that needed to be cancelled. <laughs> yes, exactly. A and reference that was lost on quite a lot of people. <laughs> the, younger, yeah. the younger amongst The 2019 us. intake, perhaps. I not. think that, yeah. The idea is that you try and ignore you have a, you have a bad plot twist that doesn't work, and you try and ignore it and pretend it was all a dream. I mean, that's what she was trying to say that they were trying to treat the, the Liz Truss and Quasi Quarteng period in office as as you know, just ignore that, please. We're going back yeah. to where the series was before. And I, I mean, I think she has a point on this in the sense that I was so even when Rishi Singh did his reshuffle and it was just moving back lots of people to where they were exactly six weeks before, as if to say it was all a dream. You know, you look around, nothing really happened. So. I thought, and I think Rachel Reeves often gets criticised for being a bit, people will like to say that she is a, you know, not a particularly eccentric character or dynamic in that sense. Like, And they'll say, oh, she's a bit dull. And I think actually, look, the jokes work quite well for her today. I also think for someone who wants to be Chancellor for the Labour Party, it's not actually such a bad thing. People think you're a little bit boring. Actually, people want a reassuring figure because often they think you're radical. That hurts again. That hurts Labour. So I think we could see that from her. But I think what we'll keep seeing, and actually the polling suggests that lots of people take the view that this is a largely Tory crisis for the Tories are making, and Labour want to just keep hammering that. And that's an interesting question for Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt because... How much do they want to try and distance themselves from Liz Truss? They did. Ha- Jeremy Hunt had light criticism today for Liz Truss and Quasi Quarteng, but he was also trying to do everything he could in the name of Tory unity and trying to get this thing through, not isolate parts to praise them of and things like the energy package. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did say, I think this is the main criticism, effectively, when Jeremy Hunt said borrowing for tax cuts is as dangerous as borrowing for spending um, and you know that's the lesson here but I think it was more striking the number of times he tried to praise and therefore if the Labour attack line which we expect and their plan is to keep trying to say just in the way of George Osborne and David Cameron would often say this is a Labour mess when they were obviously came in on, on the economy if that is it does that mean that Richard Sunak has to be more critical of his trust which on the one hand, has a political purpose, but on the other hand, in terms of keeping a really fractured party together, goes the other way. I think one of the things that is striking about this statement was it was almost like a statement you would expect at the beginning of the Parliament, which is, oh, we've got a difficult mess to fix. Here's what we're going to do. I think one of the problems for them is they've only got two years for this approach to bear fruit. And secondly, the mistakes that they are trying to correct are mistakes made by their own party. And that means that, you know, normally your response to everything that the opposition would say would be, well, we just, we just, you know, and at one point there was a moment when Jeremy Hunt said, well, look, unfunded commitments are dangerous, which was, he was designed at a bar at the Labour Party, but the Labour Party was just pointing out the fact that the Tory party had previously just delivered a mini budget that, that was like this. And I thought one of the things that Rachel Reese the strongest bit of her statement was just how many fiscal events there have been this year, how many chancellors there have been. And I mean, there is a danger for the Tories that the people are just like, well, I mean, we're fed up with this drama. I think I think a bit of stability in British politics is what people are craving. And therefore, I think a bit of dullness is not a bad thing. And I thought, I thought it was striking how unpolitical Jeremy Hunt tried to be. I thought he was very much, you know, 
he very much tried to have a kind of doctor's bedside manner. And there, there wasn't, you know, he had one joke about himself, you know, basically taking up a, a thing on NHS workforce that he had helped himself have proposed in, in a previous life as, as chair of health and social care selectivity. But I thought what was interesting was he, it wasn't full of partisan barbs because I think, I think he knows that right now what people want is a sense of calm rather than a sense of kind of partisan knockabout. So Boring has gone from being the insult that was hurled at Keir Starmer to the thing that every politician aspires to. Thank you, James. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening.